0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this, then my word, what a roller coaster it has been! I am joined today by one of the most awesome people that I've ever met, and if you, in the last year, have paid any attention to anything, you will have heard of Wouter of the Round Table. And if not, then you need to go and search for that now. It'll change your life. I'm telling you. Um, I am joined by somebody who is who is very very inspirational in my opinion and in a lot of other people's opinions because she has really kind of how can i put it she has taken something that she was so passionate about to begin with and she has made it well almost almost a career out of it right dude
1: yeah
0: yeah um so without further ado i would like to introduce you all to jenny hayes
1: hello (laughs)
0: <laughs> Jenny is known as the rock idol of the UK, bud. Yes. Right, right? So, first things first, I need to ask the question of where did it come from?
1: Um I've always been oh, oh god, it's going back a long long time. I've been a fan of Japanese idols since since I can remember. And then I was also a big, massive fan of Japanese rock music as well, such as like Visual K. Yeah, Visual K was probably the the one area of Japanese rock music that I really fell in love with. And I remember I I just kept flitting back in between like Japanese pop and Japanese rock. And I thought I'd really love for there to be like a combination of the two. So once I started doing like idol stuff, um, it was it was kind of hard to kind of find a little niche that i thought i could fit into but also really really enjoyed so then the last couple of years i mean as you know you're a big massive fan of them as well there's been a lot of alternative idol groups um coming out of the loop in japan um like necronom idol passcode baby metal etc and so when i'd seen performers like that performing i was like oh i can do this as well um be an idol but also do Rock music as well, so that's where it's all come from, but it's also a kind of genre of music that's really really popular here in the UK. So I thought, why don't I just mishmash everything and just create something wacky out of it? <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah and and the thought of kind of like where that came from, what's been amazing is it's it's not the it can't be the easiest decision. Like it's easy for kind of those of us who are into that kind of scene and into the music and stuff. It's one thing being a fan, or you know, in listening to it on its own, but but to kind of think to yourself, you know, what the, I want to I want to do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I I started off as a fan, you know, like you and others that I know, um, really really enjoying listening to the music going to shows interacting with them on social media and I've always been someone who's really really enjoyed performing and just the fan interactions that they have and just their passion for the music that they perform it it made me want to be a part of that as well so now that I'm kind of part of that scene in a way you kind of have like a different set of eyes with it um so instead of just enjoying music, I kind of use it as research into what I can do next and what I can kind of explore in different ways, such as social media, different kinds of music, that kind of thing. So I guess I'm I'm a consumer as well as a creator of the content now.
0: Of course. Which is amazing because it gives you kind of both angles yeah. of, of the, you know, the business kind of thing. Um can you remember? The moment when you realised that this was for you. You say that that you were always into performing. Did that start from a young age?
1: Um, God, I've been enjoying singing as like as far back as I can remember. Um, I think it was like as early as like age nine. I would just put random CDs into the CD player, and I I, I mean I was born in '94, so I was. I was at that prime good age where there was this, like, 90s pop boom, such as, like, NSYNC, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. And I just, I remember watching all of these performers doing these, like, brilliant, like, performances with the dancing and the singing and everything. And I just found it really, really fun to do. So that was kind of, like, my kickstart into loving singing. And then, obviously, as I've grown up, like everyone does, listening to different genres of music, and then I grew up listening to more pop-punk music like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, All Time Low etc and then obviously my love for Japanese music came in so it's, it's, it's been like a mix and match of different things as I've like grown up really. Um, But alongside singing I've always loved doing acting as well, I remember watching my favourite films like Harry Potter and thinking oh wow look at all these like different worlds that you can merge yourself into and then growing up doing cosplay as well, I really really love um, performing as different characters, and even though singing is my main love, I love being creative in other ways as well. Such as acting and writing as well.
0: Of course, which is which is amazing. And for some reason, all I can think of is a young Jenny dancing around the living room to "End Sync" and Britney Spears.
1: Oh yes. Um, <laughs> Still, still to this day, I do remember some bits of um, "I'm a Slave for You" by Britney. Really? <laughs> not as, not as good as her, obviously. But if if I was in a in a pub with a couple of vodkas down me, then you, you know that 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 would be the kind of image that you'd imagine me doing the choreography. But no, I mean, you know, I do have to say, even though I don't listen to a lot of pop music, Britney Spears was one of the. Performers that I watched as a kid and thought, I want to do something like that one day. I, I want, I just want to have fun with it.
0: And and lo and and lo and behold, you have me. <laughs> we have we have Jenny Hayes. Um, it's amazing to kind of hear about where these things start because obviously, it takes massive balls to get mm. up on a stage in front of people and talk, let alone sing, let alone dance, oh, let yeah. alone sing your own original material and perform a dance that you yourself has created yeah you know it's the amount of pressure is must be phenomenal it it can only surely come from a place of really loving what you do and being so passionate about it um yeah what are the what oh sorry
1: oh sorry i was just saying like I mean, as as a performer, I mean, there's a lot of pressure from other people watching you because the, they're always expecting something from the get-go. But me as a performer, there's always that extra added pressure of, I want to do better than I did last time. And I think sometimes I could be my own worst enemy in terms of putting pressure on myself because um, there's a lot of other amazing performers that I'm very inspired by and sometimes I can I can sabotage myself by thinking I'm not as good as that person, I'm not as good as that person, but at the end of the day, because of my love for the singing and performing that I do, there couldn't really be anybody else that could do the same as me, so I think that's like my biggest piece of advice to myself whenever I have those like low moments where I think I'm rubbish, I can't do this, but then I look back at the memories that I've made in like performances and fans interactions and I'm like, you know what, this is worth it.
0: Yeah. And, um, wow. But, I mean, jeez, how, how can I even answer that? You've you've done me. Um, <laughs> I'm, <standing laughs> I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm a bit lost for words, mate, you've done me. Um, the thought that while you're up there and, or, even when you're not, the thought of kind of comparing yourself to other people and feeling like you're not as talented or things like that we, we really are our own worst critics but out of interest when this was something that you decided to do this career who did you compare yourself up against at the time or who did you most want to become
1: um I guess it was more of the community that I kind of originated from online. Um, I know we've spoken about it a couple of times before about the overseas idol community. We kind mm-hmm. of touched upon that a little bit when we did our water of the round table. Yeah. Um, and just to, just to like put it into a nutshell, people who haven't heard of that community before, um, the overseas idol community is it's a collective of different idol performers from outside of Japan. Um, because even though the idol movement or genre, however you want to call it, originated in Japan, it has um translated itself over well into other countries. And so when that first became like a niche thing that people were interested in over in like the UK and the US, for example, a lot of it was online because there wasn't an awful lot of resources such as events that we could perform at. So when I first started doing this stuff, it was like online collaborations um like net idol groups and things like that and then just over the years um the community has just grew and just the work ethic from different people is just grown and grown and there's so many people that are part of this community now whether it's them being singers or dancers or producers or um, mixers there's like a wide variety of different talents so when I think of myself I think one of my Biggest role models in terms of being a more alternative performer is, um, I'm really, really sorry if I butcher his name wrong, but um, he's an alternative performer called Melancholia. Um, He's a phenomenal singer, Um, he does his own original music and just his hard work that you can see behind the scenes of him creating his own music is just absolutely phenomenal and his voice is just absolutely spectacular and if you ever get to see him perform live definitely go to his shows and I think he was one of the first like overseas idols um, or acts that I've seen that definitely pushed out the more alternative side of the community and I've been wanting to do it for a while before then but I didn't really know how to kick it off Because I was a bit scared of if I was to do it before other people, because in the that there'd be the added pressure of you're the one starting it, so you've got to keep it going and keep that high standard. But with Melancholia, he's just set this like really, really good um, standard for other alternative adult performers to follow, and I think that kind of helped me have more confidence in doing the kind of genre that I wanted to do. While still being a part of this collective of people that do all sorts of different genres, it's
0: amazing. Mm. The, when um, when you were finding that, um, I can just kind of all all I keep thinking in my mind is I can just kind of imagine that that was what kind of what lit the spark, or there was something that made you go, "This is the community for me." I mean, we yeah we have spoken a lot about the community in the past and stuff, but obviously not on the pod, on this podcast as such.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, for the most part, it's a very welcoming community. So
1: when,
0: when you first kind of made that step into becoming an overseas idol or an idol, um, how did you find the interaction within the community?
1: Um, I, oh God, it was way back in, gosh, I can't remember exactly what year. I think it was around about like 2010, 2011 was when I first started getting into online Idle Activities. So there wasn't an awful, it was a very, 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 very niche community. So there wasn't as many people in it. So it was kind of hard to kind of have that community feeling at first because I, I made my debut in an online idol group at the time called krp28 which was inspired by you know the akb formula with the three teams and everything and obviously because we were all doing it online obviously it was very very hard to create music to such a high standard and so obviously when people kind of saw that there was this online idol group um a lot of people looked at it and sadly with the internet you get a lot of people hiding behind screens and throwing a lot of um, negativity your way. So, sadly, when I first started within the community, there was a lot of negativity because the concept of somebody outside of Japan doing idol things seemed a bit dodgy at first. Because you fall into this territory of cultural appropriation—are you taking the Mickey out of Japanese artists? Only Japanese people can do Japanese music, etc. So it was kind of having to shut off them negative comments. And kind of just keep going with it um because if it wasn't for people kind of doing what they want to do and ignoring the hate comments we wouldn't have this big massive community that we have now and even then now because the community is so big there's a lot more resources um for people to look at in terms of how to be an overseas idol but without appropriating a culture and um, and t- taking, taking the piss out of the Japanese music industry as well, if that makes sense. Because um, so, for me as a UK performer, I'm from the UK. So when I perform in the UK, a lot of things that I do, a lot of people do find strange. But it's having that um, stance of educating people as well as being educated as well. So I'm teaching people new things, but then I'm still learning as well
0: absolutely it's and it's amazing that kind of like even now after all these years you can still kind of find something where you can try and fine-tune or improve some part of your performance that you might think you know oh maybe i'll try this maybe i'll try that it's nice that it's kind of like not so cut and dry and it can be everything you want it to be
1: Mm.
0: in terms of kind of like when you were saying about starting out in the community and you know worrying a lot about kind of how you might be perceived in yeah. terms of like, you know, as an overseas. Um have you in recent times have you taken the minute to kind of actually congratulate yourself, one, for doing it in the first place, being one of kind of like, you know, the first people to kind of get involved in this? But also have you stopped to think that maybe you've done so much to help that community move into where we are now you're, um, you're one of essentially dude you're one of the pillars of that movement big leap forward
1: i've never actually thought about it really i've just kind of see i've always looked to other people and been inspired by them rather than thinking i've inspired other people really um no, I've never actually like sat and thought about it. I mean, I I do have like um, people at conventions and things um, approach me and say, "Oh, it's really amazing that you're doing this kind of thing. You have a lot of courage to do it." Um, I've had like kids approach me and say, "Oh, I really want to do things like you do because you just had fun with it." Um, but no, I've never really like sat and thought about me building up the community because. I've always felt like I was part of it. So I've never really thought about that, really.
0: Yeah, which is understandable. I think not a lot of people give themselves credit for Mm. kind of like... Because, yeah, ultimately, the two major things are you went from being inspired by somebody else to being the person that now inspires. Um, Yeah. And it's important to kind of appreciate that or to... To kind of hold that in, well, sorry, to keep it because you deserve that. Do you know what I mean? And you need to kind of remind yourself that you've done so much good for it. And there'll now be, you know, other people, especially people in your audience and all this, that and the other, and are seeing online. They'll be thinking, wow, you know, she's doing an amazing job. And now they want to do it
1: yeah i mean i i I, I mean i do have to say i think like one of the biggest things that i kind of need to like hammer into my head is to just when i finish something whether it be a performance or a music project to just sit and look back on it and think i did that whereas when i finish something i always think of all right what can i do next rather than actually looking back on it and appreciating it
0: yeah i think i think you always think to yourself I'll do all this now because then in the future I can look back at it and appreciate it. And I don't think that's how it works. I think no. as a creative, you kind of, your first instinct from the people I've spoke to, your first instinct is every time you make something, it kind of lowers itself in value because you're always wanting to do something better. Yeah. So, so you kind of always see everything. The, the problem with that is you always see everything before, as not as good, by default, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I agree. Out
0: of um, out of interest, can you remember your first performance?
1: My first performance, um, in terms of our performances, yeah, it was at an anime convention in London, and it was wow. a group performance. Um, it was that there was I, I believe there was five of us performing, and it was. Um, as I'm, I'm part of an idol group called One Wish But originally it was called Crystal Rose And we made a debut And I remember it was probably One of the most um, One of the most educational experiences of my life Because it really set in stone How much work goes into a Convention performance um, I, I think three of us were from the north um, The other half were in London So it was all coming together to learn dances that we'd all learn separately. And I remember, the, I think it was like a day or two before the actual performance, we'd all come together for the first time to learn six dances. Um, we all knew our solo parts, but we only had a small window of time to get the um, the formations down. So I remember doing like one, two, three by Morning Musume was one of the two was one of the many songs that we did. And I hate that song now. (laughs) Because it was just, because it was a lot of fun, but it was my first time properly dancing as part of a formation. So it was very, very difficult to try and be like, okay, I need to stand in line with that person at this section. And then in this other section, I need to move over to that side of the stage. And it was, it was very, very difficult. So that definitely taught me to have a, a bigger period of time to prepare for things, and um, because by the time we'd got on stage, I'd learnt the dances, but I didn't have the full confidence to do it without even thinking about the next move. So um, when I watched it back, I laugh now because even though I've got the moves down, you can see me looking at the other members to think, "Oh shit, where am I going next?" <laughs> um, so it was it was a fun experience. Like I can never like look back on it and think, "Oh my god," as if I did that. Because I think if it hadn't been, for being a member of that group, I don't think I would have had the confidence to perform as I do now. Um, Because I'd seen performers, um, have you heard of Becky Cruel, the gay Um, pop dancer?
0: I haven't, I'm afraid.
1: No. Um, uh, Right, so um, Becky Cruel was, um, she was a girl from the Isle of Man who became quite famous in Japan were doing dance covers to j-pop and from that she kind of got like her own like little niche audience in the uk as well as overseas and she do like a lot of like uk i uh uk performances at conventions such as hyper japan and mcm and i remember watching it and thinking oh my god i really want to do something like this but i never really had the confidence to do it so when the group that i was part of we all decided to do it. i was like oh my god i'm finally getting to do things like these other people have done but you see it and you think this looks like a lot of fun but a lot of people don't actually realize how much hard work there is behind the scenes as well as having the confidence to do it as well of
0: course and you're right you're right i think as as an audience member let's say when I'm looking at somebody up on stage, my natural instinct isn't to think, oh, my God, they must be shitting themselves. Yeah. Because you know? uh, the the level of conf in my opinion, the level of confidence is already quite pronounced in the fact that you're already on that stage. Yeah. So the fact that you're already on that stage, I think you will always have the benefit of the doubt from the audience anyway, because... Not one of us would want to be doing it. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Not,
0: not one of us if anything, you'll go, fucking hell, they're brave. But um Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's the it's the curse of overthinking, isn't it? It's the curse of yeah. kind of thinking, oh, what if I, you know, mess YouTube is full of like, you know, professional idols. You yeah. know. Um fucking their stage show up and all this that and the other but we always kind of worry about it anyway don't we
1: yeah i mean there's been plenty of shows where i've gone up on stage and i think nobody's gonna like this but then I, I kind of have to hammer it in my head that the audience that are coming to sit in front of the stage know that you're about to perform you've promoted yourself before your performance so they know what they're watching um but you still have this little niggly feeling in your head of What if I mess up on this song? Um, What if I miss this dance move or forget the words to certain songs? And it has happened. Like I've had shows where I've spent months and months and weeks and weeks hammering down every single song, how I'm going to perform it, and then it'll get to be on stage and you'll forget a song. Um, But I just try and instead of just standing and freezing, I I move on to the next bit and just have fun with it. And I've had performances where I've messed up And people have, like, come over and said, I've really enjoyed how much fun you had on stage. You know, they've forgotten about the mistakes that I've made and they've just seen how much I've enjoyed it and then they've enjoyed it as well. Because if I watch a show and I see that the performers are not enjoying it, I'm not going to enjoy it myself as an audience member.
0: Of course. And that's it. But it's lovely that, kind of, people come over and give you that feedback. Um. Mm. I suppose that's the thing is if something doesn't work out or goes wrong on stage, I suppose it would only be in that moment. It would only be the you that knows in, like, Yeah. If, in the immediate, I suppose if you freeze and you panic, then it kind of becomes obvious. I think if it, if it was me, yeah. I think I'd, I'd, although it wouldn't be cause I'd be terrified, but
1: yeah.
0: some part of me, the little confident part of me would think yeah. that I'd like to just turn around to the mic and go, Oh, fuck
1: that up but I I am kind of lucky in like my background because I did do um performing arts at GCSE into college and then I actually did it at university level and um even though they taught us all the different things of how to be actors and stuff one of one of the most important things that they always taught you was how to improvise and that's something that I have like ingrained in me now so if I've known I've made a mistake I have that um that flame in my head that just ignites and just improvises the next bit. Um, I remember doing a song where there was, it was simple choreography, but it wasn't too difficult, but I'd missed it. And I knew I'd missed it, but I was like, you know what, just, and I think I made up the next move. And then I remember getting off and somebody said, Oh my God, I really enjoyed watching that. I was like, I've improvised half of it. And they said, (laughs) I didn't even realize. So I was like, Oh, thank God for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're extremely creative though. I mean, you only kind of have to stop, aside from your actual performing and your music itself, you only have to kind of go and listen to the WOTA podcast to, to know that you've you've always kind of had that spark and you're able to work on your feet, and it, we, we can be very improv, you can be very improv.
1: Yeah, because um, c- sadly I'm one of those people that always, I'm more pessimistic than optimistic, so... If anything bad does happen, I'm always prepared. But at the same time, if anything good happens to me, I still like reveling it. And I'm like, fuck yes, I've done that. Um, (laughs) So even though sometimes people think being pessimistic is a bad thing, it keeps you covered in all sorts of different situations that could happen.
0: Yeah, it, it works for you. Yeah. Wow. So you remember, you are a member of One Wish. Yes. Um, do you can you see your envision yourself remaining in the group? Is it very much a, you know, we will do this until we have enough one day. Meanwhile, doing solo on the side.
1: Um, I definitely think it's something that I'll always continue to do as a side project. Um, I mean, when One Wish first started, there was there was like five of us, and now there's only three because obviously with idols, our lives change. We move on to different things. And so there's only three of us left now, which is me, Grace and Holly. And we still keep in touch. We're really, really good friends. Um, I still collaborate with Holly um, for dances. I still see Grace a lot because she does staffing at different um, anime conventions. But we all have our own little separate idol projects going on. So I think even if One Wish wasn't active for a long time. It's always something that we'd always go back to. Um, and I think our last proper full performance altogether was before the pandemic. So I have to say like COVID and everything, it's, it's really affected how we've worked as a group because then obviously our lives have changed. Um, Grace is having a baby. Oh, um Yeah. So, she, you know, obviously she's very, very busy with that. Holly's studying to become a doctor which is absolutely mental. I've seen if if you look on her Instagram stories, she's doing like so much like research in her masters, and I'm I'm absolutely like blown away with just how much of a brainiac she is. And then there's also me working as a carer, but also doing my idol solo stuff, solo idol stuff. So you know we're doing separate things, but we're still pretty much together as well. Um. we're we're still in a group chat together we still have a laugh about different things so even though one wish isn't technically active right now it's always still going to be there
0: which is amazing yeah and it sounds like it's definitely a very very um busy time for one wish i imagine eventually the Mm. one wish would be for things to be a bit calmer but Yeah. yeah but right before we move on mm-hmm. I want to say Your idol work is amazing Oh thank you You are definitely And I'm not just saying that because you've paid me to the, um... <laughs>
1: No <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, would, I would very much I think you would definitely be somebody Jenny Who should have her own documentary You know that like, Because you mm. do like YouTube things And you do live performances and stuff That are streamed anyway I yeah. think you'd be amazing, especially with like your your acting skills and stuff like that as well. I think you are definitely somebody who should have like a a documentary of you like preparing for a a performance or like a an appearance somewhere. I think that'd be amazing to kind of just hear the thoughts and the planning and the stages that you kind of go through to yeah. get there. Is that something yeah. you've ever thought about?
1: Um. I mean, one one of my goals for this year was to, alongside doing my performances, like do vlogs as well, you know, like for more interactive content on my channel and stuff. Um, but in terms of like documentaries and stuff, um, I've always I've always been interested in kind of doing that kind of thing because there's been a lot of other artists that I follow, um, like for example Taylor Swift. She's done like documentaries about like behind the scenes of her making music and stuff and I've always found it quite fascinating because as much as I love watching idols perform I've always been very interested in how things run behind the scenes um so I've also seen like AKB48 documentaries and behind the scenes of how the idols have worked and how they've made their um promotions in terms of um the elections and stuff so yeah I think that'd be quite fun to do. I just wouldn't know how to go about actually doing it, though.
0: (laughs) You'd wing it, mate. I'm sure you'd find the way. I'll find a way. Um, Right, we will come back to this. Something that you mentioned. If this is something that you can't talk about, feel free to let me know. We will move straight on. You mentioned being a carer. Yes. Obviously it goes without saying that the last two years have probably been the hardest possible time in that industry oh yes are you is that something that you'd be willing to talk about
1: yeah um i mean obviously there's a lot of different sectors of the care industry that's been heavily affected um but sadly my sector wasn't really talked about in the news um not to discredit the NHS or care homes, they've done an absolutely fantastic job. Um, but nobody really talked about the domiciliary carers um, going from house to house. And I'd had a few experiences where I actually thought, we nobody gives a fuck about us. Um, I remember going into different houses and we didn't have PPA, like the, the, right, the, the proper amount of PPA. We'd have like the generic gloves, but we wouldn't have aprons and masks. And I would go into these people's houses thinking, I don't know whether I've got COVID. I don't know whether the people I'm looking after have got COVID. So it was a really, really scary time. Um, I remember looking after um, two people who had both come out of hospital. They both lived together. And within two weeks, um, one of them had passed away. And then suddenly half the carers in my care team had all caught COVID. Um so it was very, very scary because me, I would have said I'm not coming into work, but I had to because there was people that I had to look after who didn't have families or they didn't have someone to go and do their shopping for them. So I was like their their last lifeline, really. And then not just that, but there was other things in place such as NHS workers and carers can queue up the front and going to shops before other people and working as a domiciliary carer, I don't get to set breaks. The only time that I have to work, I mean to have a break, is probably like a quick 10-minute window in between saying in, in between seeing Lady One and Gentleman One. Um and I remember queuing up outside in Asda and the queue was like a mile long. And I remember stood stood in the queue and I'm thinking like not like out of a queue of like fifty people, they could see me in my carer's uniform, and not one person said, "Why don't you go at the front?" Um, and it really, really angered me. But then another time, I'd queued up outside the same asda, and one of the ladies at the front of the queue had actually gone in and said to one of the staff members, "Look, there's a carer waiting outside. Can she be let in?" And it was just, it was really, really nice because there were all these, you know, there were all these there were all these claps for. You know the care homes and the and the NHS and they, they do phenomenal work, but my job, a lot of people that I look after, if I didn't look after them, they would have ended up in hospital or they would have ended up in a care home. So us domiciliary carers, we're like the last lifeline for a lot of people because if I was an old lady, I'd want to stay in my home. I wouldn't want to be living in a care home. Where your whole routine's going to be different, Um, so it it was it was very very hard, Um, you know. And then obviously when the news is saying all the NHS have done amazing, Um, the care homes have done amazing, I'd just sit there and think what like I'd feel a bit diminished sometimes because I'd get up at like six o'clock in the morning, start my morning run at seven. And I wouldn't get home till, like, 11 o'clock at night because I'd, I'd finish a shift at 10, but things would always happen where I'd run past the call time and I couldn't exactly leave the person that I was looking after. You know, so as much as it's a very, very rewarding job, it does have its downsides as well. So, you know, there was a part of me that really, really wanted to hammer in how difficult it is being a domiciliary worker and even now there's been viral clips of domiciliary carers like breaking down in their car because they've not been able to go and get a lady shopping because nobody's let them in first and i just remember like social media just saying oh we'll suck it up but it's not us that we're crying for it's the people that we're looking after and people seem to forget that
0: wow Mm. Um, well, I know for a fact that, on behalf of my um, listeners, the people that I've kind of interacted with, you know, who kind of listen to this podcast, I know that they'd want to say, you know, a massive thank you for everything mm. that you did, and it's such a shame that there was that you felt that the sector was let down. Is that a, an opinion? Do you believe that was shared by? The domiciliary kind of community?
1: Oh yeah, definitely Um, I just remember um, I think there was a time where the, the, The PPE was first actually Getting delivered And I remember Our care company Was really desperate for face masks And because there was such a short supply I only had like Five to last me for the full day And I thought Is this all that we're getting? And it was it was it was it was upsetting like within the domiciliary care community we just we were just absolutely horrified at just how badly we were treated um you know obviously each care sector was under the strain but you know domiciliary care I think we were one of the last afterthoughts really i could be wrong but that's just how i felt and we were just desperate i remember our actual company actually posting Into the community, is there anywhere that we can get free face masks? Um, because we're we're looking everywhere to get them, but we can't find them anywhere. And I remember one lady, God bless her, she actually handmade like a load of um uh, face masks for carers to wear. So we had our own like um, specially made embroidered face masks that we could wear, wash, and then take back out again the next day for work. Um. Wow! You know, so that was really, really nice. It, it was, it was, it was so lovely. I didn't even know this lady, um, you know. So, in the small chance that she's actually listening to this, I just want to say a big thank you because if it wasn't for for her, we wouldn't have the masks to go in and protect ourselves as well as the people that we look after.
0: That's that's an incredible, an incredible example of so many wonderful things that people did at the beginning. I think. Because two mm. years have passed, I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten how te- quite terrifying those early days were. Oh, yeah. And even, you know, I say early days, I mean, to some degree, the whole situation is still, you know, quite frightening now, even yeah. though supposedly, supposedly better prepared. But in those early days, you must have just felt like cannon fodder.
1: It oh must, yeah, it just
0: felt like you were just being sent in.
1: With yeah, I mean, it, stru- it, it, it was it was really scary because, I mean, d- diseases happen, but this was the first time where something on this scale was happening. And I remember the first time it was it was all announced on the news. I, I was naive like everybody else to think, oh, it won't come over here. We've got the NHS. We've got all these different um, medical things. We'll be absolutely fine. But then obviously, once the lockdown started happening, I was terrified because I, I didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next. And then going into households where people were isolated, they were asking me, what's happening? Do you know what's happening with COVID, Do you know, about the lockdowns? And I and I, I, I felt really bad for them because I couldn't give them the answer that they wanted because I was in just as much of a loop as they were Um you know, I don't know when we were next going to be out of a lockdown, when we'd be able to take masks off again. It was it was just really scary because, I mean, sadly, I mean, I'm going into politics now, but our government were just they were changing their minds every five minutes with different um, guidelines, and it, it was it was it was hard to adjust all the time because I'd get used to doing it one way, and then I'd have to do it the next, and then obviously looking after people with, with dementia, for example, it was scary for them because it was... their whole routine was, like, uprooted and uprooted again and again and again, and it was terrifying.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. How is how is the sector two years later?
1: Um, I'd say it's a bit better now that um, guidelines have relaxed, but... um. In terms of the sector that I work in, I don't work in domiciliary care anymore, but I do work as a support worker. So I deal, so I still look after people in their homes. Um, But the, the place that I work, we're still very much on the ball of, even though lockdowns are not going to happen anymore and masks are going to be relaxed and stuff, we're pretty much on the ball of, we're still going to keep going with what we're doing. So we still have to have like regular tests. I have to take one covid test a week and then three lateral floors a week and i still have to wear masks and things so even though everyone else is moving on like working in shops and things and having to worry about masks i still have to worry about it
0: of course mm. well i'd say that it's probably although it must be it must be you know increasingly difficult I must say, I think that you're doing the best thing in kind of putting yourself first health-wise because, you know, it's not like Boris Johnson's ever had to, you know, make a U-turn no. decision. But, um, no. <laughs> but, mate, I think that you've done an absolutely amazing job. And obviously we've, we've kept in touch because of the other project. But yeah, I think it's been amazing, all the work that you've put into it, and I think you know, you you definitely need to... It's it's another example of something that you should be really proud of yourself for, Jenny. Oh,
1: thank
0: because, you. Because it's... It's probably... it's This pandemic is probably something that's going to stay with us forever. Our generation. Mm. Um, but... Oh, well. I'm glad that you're keeping well. Uh, you've yes. had it now.
1: Uh, I got COVID just before Christmas.
0: And and how was it for you?
1: Um, I was... It wasn't... I, I have a feeling it was the new strain that I'd got. I think I got the Omicron one. Because I didn't have a lack of smell or taste. I didn't have migraines or a temperature. I was just very, very tired. Um, oh. So, having 10 days of isolation, I became nocturnal because I was sleeping all day. And then I'd be wide awake through the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was... And then by the time it got to the sixth day, I was like, I just want to get out of this fucking house. Because <laughs> it was it was like, I think my last day of isolation was the, the 22nd or the 23rd of Christmas. So I was like, oh, I've got to spend the next two or three days now rushing around, getting everyone's Christmas presents. And I still managed to squeeze in a cinema trip to watch the new Spider-Man film. So I was happy I got to see it before Christmas. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I mean... I wasn't going to be one of those people that thought, I'm never going to get COVID. I, I got it just randomly, out of the blue. So it's it's one of them things that you, you can prepare for it as much as you can. You can wear masks. You can have your vaccinations, which I had both of when I caught COVID. And you, you can still catch it. So it's not something to really like no. dismiss easy. So,
0: Jeez. You're very lucky. When I had it, I ended up with the lack of taste and smell. And you just... Oh... oh i l- i'm a foodie anyway i love eating
1: yeah
0: um you know i love food and there's nothing more depressing than just everything tasting like cardboard
1: oh uh, no nah, I, th- I,
0: I think that was probably the worst bit for me i mean i i was i'm not going to say i was quite ill mm. i i've had both jabs and ironically enough was actually the day before i'd booked my booster and, oh. and then kind of had to cancel it because I had to wait the 28 days. But it's, um, it's
1: ridiculous, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is. But I was—I um, kind of suffered with it. But um, but the lack of taste and smell was just outrageous. Mm. Can't believe it.
1: You've still got lack of taste. Your football teams. <laughs> <themes.
0: laughs> oh, oh.
1: Here we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm 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 glad that it took me getting COVID for you to be able to make that joke work. I like.
1: Yeah. But, <laughs> I have to make you suffer first before stabbing you even more with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know, um, Jenny is referring to the fact that I'm a Liverpool fan, which you would know. Yeah. If you Listen to Wotter of the Round Table.
1: Stop. Not this to be fair, you, you, and go it could and be, worse, it could be a Man U fan. It could be worse. You could be a Man U fan.
0: Oh, COVID would have killed me if uh, if I was. Yeah. And you know what? It'd have been right too. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, mate. I think that it's absolutely amazing what you've done, and your idol work as well is absolutely incredible. Can you tell me, um, because we we kind of we we're coming to the end of the episode. Yeah. Can you tell me what you currently have, what what you're currently working on?
1: Um. Oh, this will be the first time I remember announcing it. Um, oh, wait, I'm wait, actually...
0: wait, 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 wait So so what? don't announce anything secret I mean just, you know, you, we can be vague I don't want to steal the thunder
1: When is this going out?
0: Um Oh So probably I'd say this weekend
1: Right, so that's t- absolutely fine Um, I'm going to be releasing a new single In February Oh Yes. Um, I won't say anything too much about it, except it's a lot heavier than Kawaii Killer. Wow. But it's still a pretty fun track. And I'm going to be performing it for the first time at London Anime and Gaming Con, which is going to be my first gig of 2022. Um, I'm going to be doing like a little mini concert there. Um, I think it runs the 12th and 13th of October, uh, February, I, I don't know why I said October, 12th and 13th of February um, in Novotel West London. Um, if you're in London, come along. Um, there's not just me performing, there's also a wide variety of different acts performing as well. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very excited for it. Yeah.
0: Oh, I... Um... So, firstly, anybody that wants to do that, 100% go along because Jenny is absolutely fantastic, and I know for a fact that she will absolutely kill it. Yay! A uh, little side note: Novotel London West. I mm-hmm. have a very, very interesting story about that place. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the previous episodes, I was uh, I interviewed a guy named Gary Hemmerson. Hmm. Um, Who's uh, who's a friend And one night We got so drunk At that hotel <laughs> um, Because we'd actually drank um, The bar Clean of Suntory Whiskey Oh wow um, I ended up starting a fight with a traveller
1: <laughs> Only you <laughs>
0: oh, Only me it is, it's, you'll, you'll have to let it's, it's in one of the Well it'll be on YouTube soon yeah. But uh, I'm going to put them up But mm it's a It's an absolutely wonderful hotel. Are you will you be staying there for the event?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I've stayed in there before for the last London con. I' oh. staying there again for the full weekend. The rooms are absolutely gorgeous. They and are the, the only downside was is that the bar was just it was really I, you could tell I'm northern, but it was fucking expensive. It
0: really <laughs> is. No, it really is, but it, I think I do believe it's called whiskey Down. Or something similar to that, because that's that's why we were like, (laughs) we'll teach them. Yeah,
1: because I remember, like, I went to the summer one. I think it was at, like, the end of... It was either June or July, and I just remember the drink prices were that expensive. Everybody settled with drinking Bud.
0: Oh! And
1: even (laughs) then, the Bud was, like, £5.50 a bottle.
0: Jesus.
1: And, like, luckily enough, I mean, fingers crossed none of the staff at the hotel are actually listening to this. Um, But me me and my boyfriend, Chris, we were both staying at the hotel. We went down the street to a a local Tesco's and bought, like, a big, massive pack of buds and just, like, pretended to like go up to our hotel and refill our our beer bottles and come back down <laughs> so it looked like we would we, we'd still bought drinks from the actual bar but we'd just fill it with other bits and bobs of like whiskey and stuff
0: oh bless you You know
1: so it, it saved us a lot of money
0: and you have to do that fuck them if they're charging you for it. if they're charging a yeah. the amount of money then you know yeah sodom but um but jay i hope that you will have a wonderful time at that i can't wait to kind of see and hear all about it i'd love to be there but i'm very obviously overwhelmed at the minute with other things yeah
1: um
0: but it has been absolutely amazing to have you on jenny um oh,
1: it's been an absolute pleasure
0: thank you so much that means a lot um this is the first time kind of I've, you're the first guest back on the Woo! last
1: The last
0: episode I did on this podcast Was August of 2020 Wow So you my friend are the first And the best Way that I could have restarted this Yes Um, You're an absolute legend Jenny Thank you so much Before we go um, I would like to give you the opportunity To plug yourself Let let everybody know your social medias and everything
1: So I am on Pretty much all social networks, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch, all under the name Jenny Hayes Idol. I also have a website, JennyHayesIdol.com, where you can keep up to date with music releases, performance announcements, as well as my own merch on there. Um, I do sell my merch at conventions But I also sell it online And it's available worldwide for anyone to purchase And if you do buy any of my merch All of the money from that goes straight Back into My projects And so if, if if anybody wants to buy merch It's a big massive help And keeps me going With creating amazing content So thank you
0: Ladies and gentlemen you heard it right there And get yourself over there Learn about Jenny, listen to her music Support her She really, really does deserve it. And you guys deserve to listen to some great music. Jenny, thank you again. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: And we will speak soon. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Jenny Hayes. This has been an unsociable hour. I'm sorry I made you wait so long. Who knows? I might make you wait again, but we'll wait and see. (laughs) Thank you and good night.